Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. So we have been working through weapons of our warfare. So we talked about the armor of God and it's offensive and that we need to be putting it on every day and go to battle. And today, as we're going to be continuing this conversation about declarations, really, we have to align our words with God's truth. Okay. It's really important that you as an individual Christ follower speak words that are aligned with the truth from the word of God. We have to do this. And God spoke creation into existence with his words. If you read in Genesis 1, nine times you'll see God said. He said, he spoke, he spoke, he spoke, right? He spoke for the firmament to separate or for the uh, light and darkness to separate. He spoke for the water to separate so that the land could appear. He spoke for the animals to come forth. He created humans. And then at the end of the chapter, it says, I saw that it was good. Nine times he spoke, and then he looked back and said, wow, this is good. I made good. He made, he made good. He spoke things into existence. In Romans 4, verse 17, this verse takes a lot of, there's a lot of controversy over this verse because it gets mis, misrepresented, it gets mistaught, people argue over it all the time. It's not worth arguing with people. But God calls things that are not. The context of that is faith. The context is Isaac. The context is Jesus resurrecting from the dead. So Abraham and Sarah were old. They couldn't have any children. Old, old. (laughs) Beyond childbearing years. How many at 80 want to be having a newborn? No takers? (laughs) So... I'm not saying that 80 is old, because maybe it's the new young, but I'm saying it's old for having babies. But God spoke, and Sarah brought forth the child, Isaac. And then Jesus was dead, and God spoke for him to come alive, and he came alive. So God calls things that aren't as though they are. How are we doing? Okay. So the Word of Faith movement takes a lot of criticism for correctly teaching this verse in Romans 4.17. Because we need to speak the word of God over situations that we face in life. And we need to speak the word of God over our life. Where some of the teachers get into trouble is you have to align your words with God's word. And you do that by aligning your heart with God. When you align your heart with God and you're doing what God wants you to do and you're saying what God wants you to say... There's an alignment that takes place between the truth in the word of God and the truth in your heart, and you speak it forth. That's what Psalms uh, 37 talks about. Three, four, five. When you commit your way to him, your thoughts, and, and, and he gives you the desires of your heart. Your desires have to be one with his desires for this to happen. If you have your own desires outside of God's desires, it's not going to end or land where you want it to. How are we doing? Okay? So... Some people speak their desires out like it's the word of God, and really that's kind of witchcraft in a way because you want to enforce your will on others, not God's will. Okay, so we've got to be careful with our words. And then it's not a magic spell that forces things to your way because how many of you know you want your way? 
Let's be real. Everybody wants to get their way. How many like it when things don't go your way? I have some honest people in here. I mean, I said, what, how did I say it? Um, it's my way or the highway, right? You don't like it my way? Then take the highway. <laughs> but we really want it to be his way, and that's the only way. Okay, so for Christians, it's got to be God's way, not our way. And then within this, we have to remember it's not magic. It's not a spell. We speak faith. And when faith is activated with truth, there's an alignment of our will with God's will. Then it's not just a mind power thing where it's mind over matter and we try to enforce our will on others. What we're doing is we're aligning our words with the truth from God's word and faith is released. Not manipulation, but faith. Because manipulation is also witchcraft. You don't want to declare witchcraft over your life. You want to declare the word of God over your life. And it's important, you're not going to go wrong declaring the scriptures over your life, but you can't make up your own stuff and add to it. <laughs> Connected to this, God's promises in the Bible, there's a few statements that God makes, because I'm talking about declarations. I'm going to come back to this and explain it a little bit more. But a lot of his promises are conditional. There's a couple that he makes that are unconditional. I'll highlight one of those later. But... Most of the time when God's talking to humans, it's if you do this, then this will happen. And if you don't do this, then this will happen. So if you do these things, there's blessing that will follow you. If you don't do these things, then you're going to bring a curse on your life. How many say that's pretty straightforward? All the programmers love that language. If then, you know. (laughs) But how many of you know that your words, your tongue specifically, that kind of forms your words, that you speak can get you into a lot of trouble. Anyone ever lived that out to be true in your life? I know some people who will remain unnamed for today. 95% of their problem is their words. They don't know when to stop talking, and they just keep going when they should stop. 95. I'm sure there's someone in here that 96% of your problem is your tongue, but 95% of their problems in life are because they don't know how to control their tongue. They talk too much. The Bible has this crazy verse. It says, in, in one place it says, even a fool, when he keeps his mouth shut, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, is considered wise. You can actually look smarter than you are by not talking. You think I'm kidding. Read the book of Proverbs. Okay, Proverbs 21, 23. Watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut. You'll stay out of trouble. Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue can bring death or life, and those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Are we detecting a theme here in the scriptures? (laughs) Your tongue is powerful. It has the ability to create. In fact, you have the ability to create life or you have the ability to create death. I have seen firsthand, I've witnessed and I've interacted with people that have been shredded by someone's words. Maybe it was a parent, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, but people will shred other people with their words to the point where they feel powerless. 
to the point where they feel worthless. They feel like they're no good. Why? Because someone's words impacted them to, that it shuts them down. On the same note, one word of encouragement spoken in the right moment can really propel someone into their future. Life and death are in the tongue. We create, we destroy. We have that authority. It's just which one are you going to align with? Are you going to align with truth from God's word and create and build life? Or are you going to align with flesh and Satan and destroy and tear down? You know, things like gossip. Isn't that a big one? But we're just praying for them. Okay, if you're praying for them, you don't need to know all that other data. If you're praying for them, you shouldn't be happy about the situation that they're going through. You should be grieved. Right? Why do, why do we run to things like that? Why do we want to sow discord? Why do we want to sow division? First Peter 3.10 for the scriptures say, and this is Peter talking, right? And he's quoting from the book of Psalms 34, 12 to 16 in this context. Uh, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, everyone say many happy days. Keep your tongue. Who has the obligation and onus of responsibility? You do. I do. Keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. That means we have an obligation to make sure that we're speaking truth. Coincidentally, I got to try to figure out how, how to do this now that I had time to think about it. So some years ago, my wife and I did a message on the persecuted church. And, and some of you might have been here a long time ago, but what we did is we had a little bell. And every one minute and 47 seconds, a Christian dies for their faith, right? So I had someone ring that bell through the entire service every time someone would get killed for their faith. Um, but I picked some cases of persecution that were happening at the time. And one actually became an internationally renowned case with Azia Bibi. And she was a, a young lady in Pakistan, and, uh, which is a Muslim country, but she was a Christian. And she was just doing her thing, and she drank from the well that her Muslim co-workers did, and then a conversation ensued, and she said, but we all serve God, and they accused her of blasphemy and sentenced her to death. So she was going through the courts. Um, anyway, there's a couple things I want to note here. Number one, how many know information will determine your perspective, okay? Now, all of us have biases, which I understand, but some people have a very clear bias, and others do their best to try to report truth. So here's my thought, and I started really questioning some things at this point because there was some mainstream media sources that were reporting that story like this from this perspective, like she's a horrible, evil woman. And then there's like Voice of the Martyrs who we support as a church and send money to because they help the persecuted church. So when a pastor gets killed for his faith, his widow and children need some support sometimes. 
Okay, so we, we partake of that because we send them money and then they have people on the ground that go help those people that are being persecuted. This is a good thing. Amen. Listen, Paul took up an offering in the New Testament for the persecuted church. And he went to the churches that weren't being persecuted and he said, hey, we're going to take up an offering. We're going to bring some support to our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted. We, we read our Bibles. We know this, right? It's just real quiet all of a sudden. So, so what happens is, Voice of the Martyrs was giving us updates on the situation. I have a relationship with Voice of the Martyrs. They have no reason to twist information. They're just reporting the facts as they know them. And it was a very different story of what was going on and what was happening. In fact, the politician that tried to get her released was executed, murdered. There was a judge that went to try the case. He was executed by his own bodyguard. There was a big politician that finally was working to get her released. In the end, because of the international pressure on Pakistan, she was released. I think she's hiding out in Canada now. Okay, but my point is, the information that was coming out about that case was very different. So that leaves a big question mark in my mind. What is truth and what's a lie? Is everything printed truth? Sure, the word of God is truth. We know this. But I said, is everything printed truth? Obviously, no. We can't believe everything we read. And there's so much stuff that gets twisted. So when I'm looking at this, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. My wife's up in Ottawa right now, wandering around with all the convoy. Okay. But my point in that is this. She's boots on the ground walking around, and what I'm reading on some of the mainstream media sites is exactly opposite of what's happening firsthand from my wife, who I trust. Not to mention some of my other friends that are up there, they're telling me the exact same thing. Everyone I know up there is telling me something very different than some reporters telling me. That leaves a big question mark in my mind about the accuracy of the reporting. Do you understand? Okay, so when we come to this place, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies, I have a hard time with people who tell lies. In fact, you can ask my kids, I hate lying. You can get away with a lot of things, but don't lie to me. I don't like it. I don't know, I have this inner conviction about telling the truth, right, at any cost. So, Government, okay, we have a government that we pray for, okay, but I want to explain a couple things about this real quick, because, see, now I'm thinking about it, I can explain it probably better than I did first service. God is the one who institutes all authority. It's under him, okay, but there's arenas of authority that God has entrusted people to supervise, for instance, in my home, all authority in the home under God is me. Everything that happens in my house is my responsibility. I have the authority in the home to enact as I see the word of God says, right? And I have to answer to God for how I run my home. Imperfectly, perfectly, doesn't matter. 
That's my realm of authority in the house. Nobody can come and tell me how I'm supposed to run my home. Do you understand? Now, obviously, if you get into abusive situations, you're not operating as God intended you to. You need to be removed. How many say that makes sense? Because I'm not doing what I'm supposed to. I'm supposed to protect, not mistreat. But if I'm mistreating, then remove me. Do Do you understand that? There's another sphere of authority that God has set up, the church. Within the church, it's God and the church. The church runs the church. The government doesn't have the right to tell the church how to worship or when they can worship or how they're going to worship. It's not on the government. It's on the church. So if we want to do things like participate in the Lord's Supper or baptize people or sing or worship or preach the message of hope, we're going to do that because we're the church. And anyone that says, no, you can't do communion, or no, you can't baptize, or no, you can't preach the message of hope, well, didn't they tell Peter he couldn't preach in the name of Jesus too? But what did he do? He went on preaching in the name of Jesus. Now, he went to jail because he disobeyed someone who was overreaching their realm of authority. And see, the government has the authority to enact justice in the land and keep peace and order. So when criminals commit crimes, it's not my job to execute judgment against criminals. There's judges and laws on the books that are supposed to enact what happens to the criminal when they break the law. Now, the degree that they enforce that has to do with the righteousness of the government. How are we doing? Okay, so they have their realm of authority. The church has its realm of authority and the family has its realm of authority. The truth is while they all touch, they don't overlap. And when one of the realms tries to go into some of the other realms, there's a problem there. Okay, coincidentally, my MP, who I pray for and send words to when I get a word from God for him, I talk to him, I pray for him, I encourage him, right? He's up there too. He's up there fighting for Canadians that he represents, And see, this is what we have to understand. Elected officials represent all people, not just the people that think like them. When did it come to the place where when we disagree with someone, it becomes hate? Victoria, what's your favorite color? Blue. Blue. And I like purple. So we disagree on our favorite color. But does that mean I hate you because I disagree with you on my favorite color? There's no hatred involved in that conversation. Color is very simple. People can agree to disagree, can they not? But see, when you agree to disagree, it communicates something to them. And this is where we run into complication. But the truth is, you don't hate, there's no hatred involved by coming to a different conclusion than someone else does. How you run your finances is probably very different than how I run mine. We can disagree on the approach at the end of the day. I don't have to answer for how you run your finances. You do. I have to answer for how I run my finances. So I'll save what I want to save. I'll spend what I want to spend. I'll give what I want to give. And I would hope that you would do the same. Do you, do you see how this works? And, and there's division that comes up and around these conversations, but it should not be. You know, so there's... There's two very different stories coming out right now. The news is saying this, and the people on the ground are saying that's not happening. So who do you believe? 
You're going to have to go up there and check it out yourself, I suppose. And then you come tell me what you think. What did you observe? I don't know. But watch, this is what I do know. If you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Now, our prime minister, okay, and I'll say it again, he's not your friend, Christian. He's actually stated, I heard him say it, evangelical Christians are the problem with Canada. We're the problem, okay? When you have a leader that's speaking directly against you, Canadian citizens who are freely worshiping your creator, there's a problem. There's a problem. I, I can pray for the man, but I'm gonna pray that his days in office will be short. And it's not about political parties because it doesn't matter what color they wear, there's corruption in the heart of some politicians. Right? That's why you want to pray for righteous men and women to come into places of governance in the land so that we can live in peace. But there's so many laws that are being enacted right now that are actually intentionally targeting churches and we're not even paying attention. So we have this obligation to pray for, but Jesus, Paul, Peter, John, these are all guys that the New Testament mentions. Some of you have heard of them. Okay. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, okay, the religious leaders of the day, attacked Jesus constantly because they thought that they knew what the law said. I've mentioned this, okay? Jesus wrote the law. If I had to pick, I'm gonna go with, I think Jesus know what he meant when he wrote it better than the people years later that were trying to figure it out. How we doing? We doing okay? He didn't follow what they told him to do. They killed him for it, he got crucified. But he didn't obey them. Why? Because he did what God told him to do. Now watch. Paul. He wrote Romans 13. Yet he also rebelled against the governing authority of the day when they overreached and overstepped the arena of authority that was entrusted to them. So did Peter. So did John. So did James. There was consequence in every one of those cases, but the point is they stood up for what was right according to God, not according to man. They took the truth from God's word and they said, well, God tells me that I'm supposed to gather together, so I'm going to continue to gather together. It didn't say only gather on these days if it works out well for you or if it's convenient. And this is the thing we got to catch. So Brian Peckford... How many of you know who he is? The Honorable Brian Peckford. Some of you. He's former premier out east. Or, uh, he's the last living drafter and signer of the Canadian Constitution of Rights and Freedoms, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms in 1982. He's still alive. How many would say that the guy who drafted it and signed it probably knows a little bit more about it than we do 40 years later? Yes? 
Why is he launching litigation against our current government for human rights violations with the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedom? Maybe they're missing something about the intent of the charter. You understand what I'm trying to communicate? We have to pay attention to what is really happening in the land church, okay? We have a government, and, and sometimes I think they're against Canadians too, but I can talk for the church. They're targeting churches. They don't want churches to gather and worship, and I think part of it is because of these declarations, because words are powerful. No revolution ever happens with arms until it happens with words. Revolutions always start with words, and when people gather, it's dangerous because they can exchange ideas. Have you seen the censorship laws that are going on in our land right now? And this is not a political rant. This is a challenge to truth. You've got to understand. When fact-checkers are telling me that the Bible's not accurate, I have a problem. They admitted in court, by the way, that the fact-checkers are really opinion-checkers, not fact-checkers. Lawyer took them to court and they lost. So, you know, just because it's in print doesn't mean it's truth. That's what I'm trying to get to. We, the church, have an obligation to look to God's word and then walk in the freedom that he's given us. And if someone is trying to oppress your freedom before God to worship him, then you should stand up to that. Proverbs 15, 28, the heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking. The mouth of the wicked overflows with evil words. Matthew 15, 10, Jesus called the crowd to come in here. Listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes in your mouth that defiles you. You're defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. The disciples came to him and asked, do you realize you offended the Pharisees by what you just said? He went, yep. But then he said, he replied, Every plant not planted by my heavenly Father will be uprooted. If God doesn't plant it, it's not going to last. So ignore them. They're blind guides. He's talking about the government officials of his day that he offended by telling them the truth. Blind guides leading the blind, and if one blind person guides another, they'll both fall in the ditch. Then Peter said, explain the parables that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. Don't you understand yet, Jesus asked. Seriously, Peter? Anything that passes through the stomach and then it goes down into the sewer. It goes into the sewer. It goes in, it goes out. Okay? But the words you speak come from the heart and that's what defiles you. From the heart comes murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are the things that defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. Because, you know, you remember Jesus' disciples were walking through the field one day and they grabbed some wheat because they were hungry and they started eating it. And they didn't ceremonially wash their hands before they ate. So, of course, you know, now they're going to hell. Jesus wrote the law. I think he understood the intent of it, right? And the ceremonial law had its place because the cleanliness that they had prevented the diseases that wiped out a lot of the other people groups at the time. We've come a long way with our sanitation and our cleanliness compared to what used to be. At least some of us have. <laughs> we have to make declarations. Satan's the accuser. He makes accusations. Okay? When people are making accusations, they're aligning with Satan. 
Accusation, 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 accusation. Jesus is your advocate. He makes declarations. Here's an example of this. Jeremiah 29, 11, Nasby. Uh, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not calamity, to give you a future and a hope. See, the Lord's making a declaration about the good plans he has over his people. He declares, I have good plans for you. He says, I have good plans for you. I've got, I want good things. I want your welfare to be good. I want things to prosper. I want you to go, I want things to go well for you. That's what God's declaring over his people. Satan accuses people. He makes blanket statements about people groups. He attacks people. Evangelical Christians are the most dangerous people in Canada. I don't know. Do I look dangerous? (laughs) Do you look dangerous? I want to be dangerous to hell and dangerous to injustice. Right? Dangerous to poverty, dangerous to lack. I want to be dangerous to the works of Satan, but not dangerous. Do you see what I'm saying? Do you understand? We have to be careful how we use our words because they create. They create mindsets. They create ideas. They cause people to act and react. In this verse that, that most translated is the word declare. That's the most popular translation. But other translations say it says declare oracle. It's from the Hebrew neum, which is kind of an utterance. So God is uttering forth a declaration over his people. He has a plan for his people, and he declares it even before they see it happen. We have to start uttering out or declaring the word of God over our life. Make a declaration even before you see it happen. Just make sure you're declaring the word of God over your life in alignment with his plan for your life instead of declaring what you want, which is not healthy. 1 Peter 2.9. But you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a consecrated nation, a special people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies, the wonderful deeds and virtues and perfections of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you don't believe that God has chosen you, if you don't believe that God loves you, if you don't believe that you're holy, if you don't believe that you're righteous, if you don't believe that you belong to Christ, how are you ever going to make a declaration of his wonderful deeds. See the importance of aligning your life with truth from the word of God? What does the word say about you? What's the truth in God's word? And then we live accordingly to the truth from the word of God. And and Philippians 4, here's another example, 13 and 19. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And in verse 19, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. You know, if greed is your motivation, you're not operating through Christ. So you can't do everything with the help of Christ because he's not going to help you if greed is your motivation. And furthermore, supplying all your needs is going to look very different if greed is your motivation because your needs and your greeds are two totally different things. You need very little to survive. Water, food, clothing, shelter, that's about it. Anything beyond that, we don't really need. It's nice, but we don't need it. See what I'm saying? And, and what happens is, if God is your source, right? If God is the one who provides for you, you look to him to provide for your needs. You don't look to 
another outside source to provide for your needs. And if you look to something other than God to provide for your needs, you're looking in the wrong place. And then, remember Genesis? We talked about Noah. I think they read it in the verse that they read. You can declare God's pathway to provision all day, but if you're not obedient to God's law of seed time and harvest, you're not going to reap. You plant seed and then you harvest seed. Talk to any farmer. They don't reap what they don't plant. Do you understand this concept? But in Genesis, when Noah came out of the flood and sacrificed to God, what did Noah do? He sacrificed and then God said, look, I'm going to put my rainbow in the sky as a constant reminder to myself and humans that I will never again destroy the earth with water. People make the rainbow mean all kinds of things. God put it there and God meant it to remind him of his covenant with us. Remember I said some of those words that God gave us are his declarations and they're unconditional? That's one of them. It doesn't matter what we do. He's never going to judge us that way again. But there's other arenas of our life where there's seed time and there's harvest. If you're not sowing, you're not going to reap. Did you catch that? If you don't put seed in the ground, what are you going to harvest? There's many things that we can sow. You sow kindness, you reap kindness. Some of you sow all kinds of division and discord and strife. And guess what you reap? You sow to the wind and you reap the whirlwind. And you, oh, my life sucks. Well, let's go back and look at the declarations that you're making or the words that you're aligning with or the truth that you think you're presenting that's not aligned with God's word. How we doing? You see how this goes? Isaiah 26.3. Here's another declaration. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. All his thoughts are fixed on you. You fix your thoughts on God in his word, you can live in perfect peace. But the truth is, most of us have our thoughts fixed on all kinds of things, but not the word of God. And then we wonder why we don't have peace. See, there's an, there's, there's an aligning with truth that I'm trying to get to here. Watch, how many of you have maybe walked through some stuff in life and you've had some challenges? Has anyone ever had, gone through some hard times? Well, let's be real, it's okay. No judgment. Some of you have walked through some stuff? Okay. In the Bible, there's a guy named Job. Now, now how many of you have walked through stuff like Job? None of you have walked through what Job walked through? This is good. There might be someone, but I'm going to suggest no matter where you think you fall, if you've walked through what Job's walking through or there's someone worse off than you, okay, you get out of it the same way. Okay, now Job, his whole life fell apart in a matter of like moments. And I mean, one messenger came and said they stole all your camels and another one came and said they stole all your cattle and another one, your kids are dead and another one came like... While he was still talking, it says, boom, 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 boom. And then he's sick and he's covered in sores. And he's having a real miserable time. But in the middle of all that, in Job 19, verse 25 and 26, despite what he went through and how bad it was, and his friends tried to help him, but they weren't helping You ever have people like that that try to help you, but they're not helping? 
They really are. They're, they're, their intent is good and they're trying to help you, but they're not really helping you. I think we've probably all tried to help people and we weren't really helping them, but nonetheless, this is what Job says. But as for me, catch this, I know that my Redeemer lives. And he will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body's decayed, yet in my body, I will see God. Job had an understanding that his Redeemer is alive and his Redeemer is powerful. And he's going to stand before him and he's going to see him. He had an understanding. He was living for beyond the moment because we live for eternity. And you got to remember, at best, this life is temporary. This is the small part of your journey. The eternal part of your journey comes next. This is the beginning, but it's certainly not the end. Your destination is linked to your words. Matthew 12. A tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. You brood of snakes, how could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The word you say will acquit or condemn you. Your words, when you stand before God, are going to deem you innocent or guilty. Your words. Who's responsible for your words? Only you. I'm not responsible for your words. Your neighbor's not responsible for your words. The person sitting next to you is not responsible. You are responsible for your words alone. You determine what comes out of your mouth. You determine heaven and hell. You determine peace or strife. You determine love or hate. You determine joy or depression. You determine thanksgiving or complaining. Oh, you mean I'm not supposed to complain? How'd that work out for Israel? A whole generation died before they entered the land of promise because they couldn't get the complaining thing straight. You don't think God takes this stuff seriously? A whole generation, he let them die in the wilderness without going into the promised land because they, they complained and murmured and they couldn't get it straight. You think it's going to be any different for you? You think you're going to walk in the promised land if you live a life of complaining? Align your words with life and make some declarations. We need to find out what the word of God says and then start declaring that over our life. When you're faced with a situation, you start declaring the word of God. You know what? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. How many have heard that verse? How many have quoted that? There's actually a line before it. Submit yourselves to God. You leave out the submit yourselves to God part, you can resist all day. You can resist for years. He's not going nowhere. It's only when you're submitted to the authority of Christ in your life that Satan will flee. Do you understand? We have to come into alignment with the truth from God's word. We have to come to the place where we're bold enough to speak the truth no matter the cost. And I feel like for a church... In the world today, you have to weigh what's the cost of pursuing Christ. Stand up with me. Jesus said, if you're going to build a tower, you consider the cost. 
when I look at people that are debating if they want to give their life to Christ and they're kind of seeking truth and they're seeking freedom from their life of sin and shame and pain, I always go, consider it. I'd rather you weigh it and think it through and look at the data and say, God, is this really what I'm supposed to do? Because what happens is, if you don't consider this cost, you get halfway through the project and then you don't have enough to finish it. If you're looking at the Christian life and you haven't weighed it and say, oh, this is the cost of the Christian life, it's going to cost me my will. It's going to cost me my, you know, my ability to react how I want to. It's going to cost me my ability to stay with these flesh activities, right? We give up the flesh. We surrender. And we take on the nature of Christ. So Jesus came to earth. He lived a sinless life. He actually died for you. If you were the only person on earth, Jesus would have died for you because he loved you so much. Even before you knew him, even before you thought about him, but he asked us all to do one thing, repent of your sin and turn your life over to him. Surrender. And in repentance, you gain freedom, you gain eternal life, you gain forgiveness. And because he's forgiven us, he's asked us to release others also. So if you've never... You never surrendered your life to Christ. You've never repented of your sin and given your life to Christ. Just come talk to me after. I'll pray with you. And you too can become a Christ follower. You can be someone who takes on the nature and character of Christ. And there's many benefits to that. I mean, we get to live forever. It's better than the alternative. I mean, you're going to live forever, but either with God or apart from him. I'd rather live with him than apart from him, I assure you. Because there's a lot of misinformation about what it's going to look like to live apart from him. You might want to check your facts on that one from the word of God before you make your decision. Because I'm pretty sure the word of God, the Bible, has the truth on that matter. It's pretty established. So as we come to the table today, which is communion, the Lord's Supper, Jesus instituted this. He says, as often as you get together, do this in remembrance of me. Why? So we can remember his death, burial, and resurrection. So we can remember the work he did at the cross. So we can always be grateful for what he did to bring us freedom. So fathers, we have the bread in our hand. Just like your body was broken, Lord. I snapped this in half because in your brokenness, you made a way for me to be healed. In my mind and emotions and in my spirit. Free from poverty and lack. Free from sickness and disease. Free from the works of the flesh. Lord, help me and everyone here to take on your nature and your character each day, that we can live like you and act like you, love people like you love people, stand up for what's right, and that we could declare your truth over our lives, that we wouldn't believe the lies, the accusations that the enemy throws at us. So we have that shield of faith to quench his accusation. And we take up your word and we declare it that I can do everything with the help of Christ who gives me the strength I need, that my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. Lord, we look to you, our one true source of life, and we acknowledge you in all of our ways now in Jesus' name. As we have the cup in our hand, just remember the blood of Jesus was shed for your sin and mine. And it's only place we can find freedom and deliverance. Father, for the blood of Jesus, I'm so grateful. And as we've received forgiveness, we also release it towards others.
Thank you, Lord, that you're working in us and you've redeemed us from the curse. You've set us free from Satan's grip. We don't have to listen to his lies or his voice, but we can go to your word, which is the source of truth. And truly, Lord, we are your children. We're your sons and your daughters. Help us to honor that. Keep our end of it. In Jesus' name. And may the peace and love of Jesus Christ be upon all of you. You're now dismissed.